0: Tonight on Arena It's reviews all the ways In movies Pain Hustlers The Killer And typist artist Pirate King And with new albums From Oxen Kojak And orchestral manoeuvres In the dark one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. And films first this evening, we look at The Killer, directed by David Fincher, in which Michael Fassbender plays a deep-thinking professional assassin. We'll also be looking at Pain Hustler, starring Emily Blunt, Chris Evans and Andy Garcia. This is Inspired by True Events, telling the story of a scandal in the opioid industry. And finally, Typist Artist Pirate King, a fictionalised portrait of the artist Ard Audrey Amos, who suffered with mental illness. Joined in studio this evening by Tara Brady and John Maguire. And uh, let us start with um, The Thoughtful Assassin, if we might rechristen the killer that, based on the French graphic novel series... Um, This is the David Fincher uh, film, an action thriller starring Michael Fassbender as a Smith's loving gun for hire. Inevitably, a hit goes wrong, otherwise there'd be no film, would there? And the hitman becomes involved in an international manhunt. I suppose um, it's hard to know what, you know, what your average assassin assassin like, John. But this is, is this just another twist on the assassin or is it a, a whole new look at this type of character? Uh, no.
1: Is the short answer to that one, John. Uh, <laughs> no,
0: no to my is it that No to the question? last bit. Uh,
1: no, okay. <laughs> the this is very much in the form of that killer with a code, that gangster is yeah. with it's uh, to me very and to everybody else who sees it, it'll be you'll be immediately reminded of Melville's The Samurai with Alan Delon Mooching around Paris quietly, trying to escape the people who are out to get him. But I'm okay with all of that. I'm okay with Fincher, and I'm okay with the original graphic novel, and I'm very much okay with Michael Fassbender here, who is just superb as this, uh, you know, yoga practicing, Smiths listening, uh, self help quoting killer, whose methodical methods uh, are very much reflect Fincher's Mm -hmm. own methods. I think that's really the point of the film. But he hides his anonymity behind cover names lifted from soap opera, from sitcom actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he dresses, as he says himself, like a German tourist to avoid attention. And he's got a plan and he's got, as he says, redundancies upon redundancies upon redundancies to do the job. In, you know, when it opens, we're in Paris and he has to kill a rich man who's in a penthouse apartment across the way from his little sniper's nest. Uh, and he's got a plan if that goes right, and if he's got he's got a plan if it goes wrong, it does go wrong, and he has to run. He finally f- makes his mm. way home and he finds that somebody has gotten there before him. I'm being evasive, yeah. Sean, because I don't want to give it away. OK. okay. And but, uh, when he, Once he's on the run, once he has this impetus, he has things to do and he has to. Okay. Once he's freewheeling a little bit, he's improvising a little bit, the film just opens up and Fassbender is really, really superb at that.
0: So I'm guessing from what John's saying there, Tara, that the, the plan is that we care about this particular killer, do we?
2: Well, uh, did I'm, you? I'm, I'm. I'm. I was very convinced by Michael Fassbender. I'm a lot less convinced by the film. I th- I think that you know the the film is you know fine in its sort of very juvenile, flatline way, and it's that's the thing about it. It's supposed to be this growly, practiced, deadpan. It's supposed to be this kind of one note exercise where he's like this kind of you know cool sort of guy, mm. and he has and the and the sort of things that the things that he says, the like the little Bond motzer, things like you know what would um, uh, uh, John Wilkes Booth do and things like that and you know there's supposed to be this kind of deadpan quality to it and this a moral quality to it and that you know his his, te- his temperature never rises his heartbeat never rises and you know you know he's, he's slowing every he's he's going mm. at yoga pace in in his mind all the time and and that stuff's fine and it's very hip and it's very droll and, and it's quite enjoyable but I, I think the real problem with the film is that it has no flip. It doesn't go anywhere. It sort of just keeps going on this one line and it works its way up to this confrontation with Tilda Swinton and that sort of doesn't go anywhere either you're expecting something to happen you keep expecting something big to happen and nothing ever really does yeah. it doesn't even have the weight of say Fincher's other kind of genre films like say Gone Girl it wouldn't even have the kind of weight of that let alone the weight of, of something like Le Samurai it's like someone watched Le Samurai and they understood yeah. what was on the screen but they had they didn't understand any of the depth behind well, it
0: unless I'm mishearing the
1: two of you it sounds as if you were both at different films John you had a well, great time I would I wouldn't take Tara's line on it. I understand what you're saying. But to me, it's not the joyless existentialist trudge that Tara makes it out to be, but actually one of Fincher's funniest movies filled with a bleakly hilarious sight gags, mordant comments on our easily distracted culture. There's comments on internet culture, on Amazon shopping, you know, internet shopping. He's got uh, this absolutely superb character Mm -hmm. who says all these outrageous things and does all these outrageous things. And like Tara says, it is in a straight line, but there are elements of change and there are some very deft narrative pirouettes all the way towards the conclusion. But I would agree with Tara when she says that there is this celebrity cameo that we're building up towards and that is comprehensively wasted. And you have an actor of Tilda Swinton's, you know, caliber and her capability, and she's given this dead scene that goes nowhere. nowhere. And it's it's a little deflating. But All the way through the film, the tagline on the poster is "Execution is everything," and that's a good gag. But and that's not just a gag. (laughs) Yes, but it's also setting yourself up for another. A a little bit, uh, but it's a good gag, uh, and it's a good gag for. Fassbender's character but it's a very yeah. funny gag when you think of the guy who made the movie okay, these I think exacting like, methods that he has I'm not
0: seeing even the half a smile cra- well maybe now I'm seeing a yeah. half a smile cracking on your face Tara at the thought that there might one might crack on your face um,
2: look, look I, I did have fun watching it mm. I just don't think there's a lot of depth to it and I don't right. think there's a, and that's fine not, like not everything has yeah, to has have depth to, fair but, enough, but, yeah. but, but I think it's been kind of talked up to be something more than it is okay. and wh- while it's perfectly amusing and there's some good stuff with a pit ball here and there's some good stuff w- w- with the one liners it just doesn't really amount to All anything right. stars from you Tara three and a
1: half and, John oh I'm not that we're not that far away Tara because I would give it four stars I, right. I really enjoyed it I okay. had a good time watching so four and three and a half respectively for
0: the killer let us move on to uh, pain hustlers single mum struggling to raise her daughter gets fired from a strip club she takes a job at Zana or Zena uh, however we say that a pharmaceutical Company that sells opioids. There she gets involved in a dangerous scheme, which makes her incredibly rich. We've had um, Tara uh, uh, quite a few mm. um, stories about the opioid crisis. Obviously, it's an important story, mm-hmm. and and I think particularly uh, the whole thing around um, OxyContin has been that story has been told very well in different yeah. forms recently. We're we're in a different it's, whatever different space of the pharma industry here, mm-hmm. are we?
2: Yeah, I think well, we're we're sort of in the... We, we, this is fentanyl, but it's pretty much the same story, and it's it's mm. the kind of abuse that goes on uh, with it within American medicine and within uh, between American medicine and pharmaceutical companies and the FDA and and all these kind of various agencies that are supposed to look after people and look after people's in interests. Um, I mean, you you say that you're absolutely mm. right. That the story has been told a whole lot of times, but it tends to be told in documentary form, yeah. which yeah. is really where it's best suited. I, and this this you kind of feel should be a documentary and, and it's it's based on this um, 2022 non-fiction book The Hard Sell um, which was in turn adapted um, by from a New York Times um, magazine article one of those incredibly long ones that's about 5,000 words by, by Evan Hughes and like it's a really thorough piece of reporting and I think where the problem comes in is they've tried to fictionalise it and, and the ways they've tried mm. to fictionalise it with single stripper mom and, and all these kind of things they just doesn't quite like add up. And then they have this other thing, which is this very cluttered device of of having these documentary inserts. I mean, the thing that that anyone's going to say the first, within 10 minutes, you're like, this film really wants to be Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. And they've really sat down and they've studied the Scorsese film and they've gone beat for beat for beat for beat. But the thing is, is that um, David Yates, while he's a very successful filmmaker, it's not Martin Scorsese. Uh,
0: right, yeah. Imitation is the sincerest form of He's flattery. He's not even Adam McKay with the big no, shortest short. vibe yeah. that yeah. I got when yeah. I was So sincerest form of flattery but is it, you know, a pale imitation? Well, uh, I
1: don't know. I I, I, I didn't dislike mm. this film. Mm. I think it's a very, very important yeah, subject. We, we should,
0: uh, we've mentioned the, the stripper mom. This is the Emily Blunt character. Just give us the basic Kind of tenacity, the the yeah.
1: mechanic of it really is that they establish these things that the that is widespread in the American pharmaceutical industry called a speaker program, and it's basically an industry standard scheme whereby companies pay mm. doctors, medical doctors, GPs, in cash or bribes or in expensive junkets to foreign places, and they pay them to speak at medical conferences where they plug the given drug. In this case, whatever the the fentanyl that they yeah. have developed, uh, a pain relief drug for yeah. cancer patients, which is a very important and very significant drug. Drug, but they're being hammered in the market. Nobody is buying it and they have to try to get around people's natural and the medical profession's natural inhibitions on this drug and try to get around it by bribing them. And that's what the, the crux, the mechanic of the film is all about. So, they, have, so they, they they get these people to sell it and to, they to start speak small, it up, to it talk it up. bigger and bigger, bigger and yeah. bigger. Soon, uh, Liz Drake, who's Emily Blunt's character, is hiring another group of uh, strippers and anybody that she can get her hands on, glamorous women, to go out and bribe the doctor. Well, let's let's listen to how she gets hired
0: in the in the first yes, place. She yeah. has met um, Pete Brenner. This is the Chris Evans character. Yeah. He's been a drunk in the club in her where she's the stripper. Um, she loses her job there. Uh, he offers her an interview and here is the interview that ensues between the two of them.
2: Listen, I thought about it. I'd like to take you up on your very exciting offer. You got a resume? Yeah. Come on.
3: Only two years of high school? Well, I left to pursue a career in sales. Cut-co, what is that, like steak knives? Long yeah. Long? Um, it was other kinds of knives, too. Mm-hmm. Amway, Avon, Mary Kay. Mm-hmm. President of Green Rock Enterprises. What's that? Uh, the model was to upcycle biocharred hog waste in a sustainable
4: drywall product. It was, it was pretty cool.
3: You made sheet rock out of dried pig shit?
4: <laughs> Almost, yeah.
3: You own a restaurant in Savannah? How'd that pan out?
4: It still am good. It's doing solid numbers for my ex. Come on, Mr.
0: Brenner, give me a shot. Give me a shot, please. Come on, give me a shot. So there we had uh, that was uh, Pete Brenner played by Chris Evans and Eliza Drake played by Emily Blunt looking for a job. Give me a shot, as she asks him there towards the end of the of the interview. Tara, I was asking as we were listening to that, is is um, Emily Blunt believable as this uh, stripper mom type of character mm-hmm. from the, I suppose the wrong side of the tracks and and you started to develop uh, yeah. her and Chris Evans in fact
2: Yeah no I mean she is probably a little bit too polished and posh, mm. and um, but like she does get away with it, and she car- like she has a lot of weight in her shoulders in the film, and I think she does really yeah. well with it. Um, I think the the real problem with the film is that it's very very clean and very sanitized, and you can see that in particular with Chris Evans' character well, because Captain you know America. yeah How they clean have can Captain America, <laughs> so they should be really leaning into making him un Captain America, Captain un America, yeah. and making him and he's not sleazy enough for there. He's not sleazy enough to be a guy that would pick up a stripper in a bar and and give her a job. And and like no nobody's really sleazy enough. I think the only person who comes close is Andy Garcia who's like the CEO and he's a bit bonkers and and and, st- and starts going a bit Howard Hughes at the end. And and, and that's quite enjoyable. Um, but it actually needed a little bit more of that kind of comedy, that kind of Adam McKay type type comedy yeah. or it needed a lot more kind of sleaze. It needed a lot more kind of grit and it doesn't have that because you don't really believe that these yeah. People are in the kind of like low socioeconomic bracket that they are. It's just kind of things are too nice for them.
0: Uh, but I guess it, the speaker program aspect of it, maybe that's where Emily Blunt comes into her, uh, her own, John. And I'm yeah, kind no, of she's very good but, at getting things done. Good, yeah, can, I can imagine too how, how she could play that type of speaker who's speaking to a big audience and basically selling them the product.
1: Yeah, and, and but the context is important here as well because the, it's clever enough, really, in how it condenses this real life story into two hours. Uh, But it paints, for outsiders, for people not Mm. in America, Mm. it paints a fairly convincing ground-level portrait of just how ruthless the American medical complex is. But even with Blunt trying to convince us that this is all crooked and rotten, it's not really interested in examining the, the true issues here of untrammeled greed and corruption and weak regulation than it is trying to be subversive and edgy about material that is already you yeah. know, disturbing. Yeah, has you enough know, disturbing, even on the surface yeah. Is disturbing you don't need to be subversive. You don't need to yeah. dress it up. You don't need to make it flashy, yeah. and that's it. It loses sincerity, and once right. it loses that, there's nothing the Blunt can do right. uh, after that to try stars, to recover. Stars from you on this one, John. I wasn't that crazy about it but I still watched it all the way yeah. through and enjoyed it and I like Blunt's performance I like Evan's performance I like Catherine O'Hara pops up mm-hmm. oh, She plays as like, Blunt's mother yeah. That's Blunt's yeah. mother yeah who gets into trouble and actually is formative and uh, you know plays a, quite of a pivotal part in yeah. the end uh, but I, I, I liked it enough. It's on Netflix and I would give it three out of five stars. It's worth a watch. Right, and what do you say, Yeah,
2: I, I, I'd be able to say it, it breezes along. It's perfectly entertaining. Yeah. It's like a perfect Netflix but film. Painkiller definitely. is
1: better. Dope Sick is
2: better. Yeah, I mean, definitely. we've
1: seen this story.
2: Yeah, they've yeah, done that. I mean,
0: the, the, the Dope sick is always going to be the one I yeah. think to follow really, isn't it, in fairness? Right. Uh, so what did you say? Yeah, double three there is what <laughs> we got for... Um, painkillers, painkillers. No, that's not the right name. Pain hustlers. Pain, pain hustlers. pain hustlers. Thank you very much. Now let us move on to typist artist pirate king. Obviously, a little nod to uh, certain other film titles here. Tara.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, it, it, you say that, but it is very much its own thing. About very much its its own mm-hmm. subject. I mean, like Carl like Morley is, is a very very interesting filmmaker, and one of one of the most fascinating things about her work is that sort of intersection. That she did. I mean, I think Dreams of a Life is one of the most underrated films of the last yeah, fifteen years. The, the, just yeah. to, like it, um, as you as you remember, it's the story of like the where they find the corpse of a young woman who was mummified in her flat in London, and it's trying to piece together yeah. what happened to her. And the way, and, you know, and and it could have been so cheesy with another filmmaker, you know, trying to dramatize things and and, and trying to work in uh, talking heads. And and it's just it's such a it's such a great film, um, and and so so brilliantly done. And you you can see that that. The kind of the, you can see that that this is kind of a common. There's a common ground here, and we are talking about
0: it, we're talking about a real life person yeah, here as well. Yeah,
2: exactly. So this is it's Carl Morley's fifth feature, and like in keeping with you know her other constructions, it's a real labour of love, and it's based on research that was taken while she was at the 2015 Welcome Screenwriting Fellowship, and that post allowed allowed her access to like all this stuff, that's what it was. It was I, like 80 boxes of stuff and that included 50,000 sketches and paintings and diaries and even Cornetto wrappers and Kit Kat wrappers yeah. and you name it that all belonged to this outsider artist, Audrey Amiss. So it, it, it had everything in it and she slowly starts to kind of piece together, as, as with Dreams mm. of a Life, stri, start, starts to piece together a narrative about this woman, about about her art um, and it turned out that she was this accomplished artist who went to the Royal Academy of Arts but just before like she was due to graduate she had some kind of breakdown and really continued to have a series of breakthroughs throughout right. her life. Um, so so as we come into the movie she's now essayed by, by the great uh, Monica Dolan and um, and the um, Kelly MacDonald is her long suffering sort of care worker um, who, is, who is coming in right. and trying to look after her and, and by golly it's a difficult job because she's, a, she's she's rather cantankerous and it's one of the great things about the film I think is that it doesn't make mental illness cuddly mm. it doesn't it doesn't mm. it doesn't t- turn around it doesn't try to do anything with it it's that, that that isn't real it, it feels very very authentic in that aspect
0: alright um, let's have a listen to a scene between the aforementioned uh, Monica Dolan playing the character of Audrey M.S., who's the the outsider artist um, and Sandra played by Kelly MacDonald who's her care worker and <laughs> they're they're heading off in the car to somewhere in the north of England.
3: Must be close by now. I still regard myself as a local. After all I was born and brought up there. Where? Sunderland. Sunderland? Galleries in Sunderland. Jesus, that's in the northeast of England. Bloody hours away. With comfort breaks, seven hours. It is 280 miles precisely. Brought a brand new toothbrush and one of me mam's nightdresses for you. You said it was local. It is to me. There's tons of galleries in London, aren't there? London galleries have always thrived on elitism and I'm not there scene. I've travelled the globe, as you know, Sandra, but Sunderland was once my entire world. I know it's not a major gallery of note, but it means I will finally have my exhibition. I know full well what's on your mind. I doubt it. You're thinking your bosses won't allow you to transport me such a distance. But the way I see it, you can't just apply rules willy-nilly. They're made to be broken. Uh,
0: It sounds like a wonderful relationship that's built there between uh, Monica Dolan playing the character of Audrey Miss the the portrait, the, the artist of the title Typist Artist Pirate King, and I presume she's all of the other things as well. And then her care worker, Kelly MacDonald, playing the character of Sander, there, the, the relationship, John, is mm-hmm. it, it, does does it work well? Is it how, so. how, how do how do how did you fare with this film? It sounds as if there might be an emotional heart, a core to it.
1: There certainly is. McDonald and Dolan make for a very appealing team. The film is very well established as well. Mm-hmm. She sets up the. The praxis of what Audrey Amos actually did, how she worked, the kind of obsessions that she had, how she put her pieces together, and that kind of suffering in somebody working in the NHS mm. trying to deal with this unpredictable and volatile woman. So it's very well set up. And like you say, like you just heard in that scene,
0: yeah,
1: it's kind of funny. But once they hit the road in the little electric car and they've got 300 miles to cover, It it morally scatters that journey with these occasionally surreal incidents and confrontations. There's a standoff in a cafe. There's the car breaks down. There's a moment when Audrey is crowned Queen of the Brightons by these cosplaying uh, historical Mm -hmm. reenactors in a field. Some of this stuff really works and the scenes are kind of electric and some of it is just not there. It's just too flat for me. And uh, there is no need to add surrealism to this story Alrighty, sorry, sorry, a bit Amos like is saying. already a really interesting yeah. artist Yeah. and the kind of obsessions that she had about consumption the food that she was eating mm. she collects Said enough she collects yeah. ra- uh, you know food wrappers she yeah. itemises every penny she spends she's a really interesting artist and we get a sense of that but I Not, would love to have would, seen you, more you of that investigation, investigation into wow. what she was really like the softy the kind of me wonders as working. you
0: give me the stars Tara will I be will I be a bit weepy towards the end of this
2: um Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. A li- definitely a little bit. No. It has. It has a big heart, as John said. It's. Do it, you know what? It's a little bit like like watching a t- play that t- a really good play that takes around takes place around a kitchen table, and because they've dramatized it, they've taken it away from the kitchen table and added in too many mm-hmm. bits. When it's just the two of them, it's a- it's absolutely really? yeah, terrific. Yeah, yeah. Like it. they they're, they're such right. a such a great two step. But well, yeah,
1: we're was... saying that Gina McKee pops up as Amos's R- yes. sister later in the last third or so of the film, and I thought that material right. again was really interesting, and I'd love to. Seen See more of, of that, that Stars under overall from you, Tara? Three and a half. Three and a half. What are you saying, John? Uh, three stars for me I, I, it's thrilling to see the art placed uh, the actual art placed front and yeah. centre by Morley she's really mm-hmm. good at that and how she works the real yeah. images into this film yeah. I think worth that's it. really interesting right. and well worth seeing yeah. like any film about an outsider artist is worth seeing yeah okay it sounds as if it is, has an interesting
0: side to it certainly typist artist pirate king pain hustlers and the killer were the three films that John McGuire and Tara Brady were speaking to us about on this Thursday evening The 72nd Wexford Festival Opera opened this week. The centrepiece of the festival every year is a trio of main stage operas, usually lesser known works, as well as a mix of recitals, screenings, lectures and short operas. This year's theme is Women and War, a theme that Rosetta Cookie has wanted to explore since becoming Wexford Artistic Director in 2020. She was in with us recently telling us about the trio of operas Zoraida de Granata by Donizetti, L'Obe Rouge by Camille Euranger and La Ciociara, by Marco Tutino and the very different aspects of war that each of the female leads is struggling with in the trio of operas. Michael Lee has been to a mix of events, actually, at the Festival Forest, and he joins us now in studio. But let us start with the the big one that you were at uh, the other night, Michael, Lobe Rouge, one of the main stage productions uh, in a while. uh, 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 That particular performance uh, why? What was she doing in that? Uh, what was she looking for? It's 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 a classic. Wexford didn't exist as far as we all knew, and it was uncovered.
5: Absolutely. I mean, this is a work that was first staged back in 1911. Um, it may have been revived during Eric lifetime, but then, I mean, he dies in 1919 mm. and very little uh, is of, him, of his work is heard after that point. And I mean, this is such a special work. It's so, there's such a wonderful quality mm. in the writing um, and such an intensely dramatic story. So, the,
0: the, the main character here is a kind of love across the barricade story, essentially, isn't it? The main character is Olga. What is her difficulty?
5: Um, Olga is um, is like a daughter of the establishment, and yet she has enormous sympathy for these kind of um, these nihilist renegades. It's, it was originally set in late 19th century Russia, where you have nihilist dissenters who are kind of trying to uh, push back against uh, the Tsarist rule. Um, obviously, in this production, they've updated it to sort of more present-day times. Um, and so she, as someone who comes from an obviously aristocratic background, she isn't trusted by um, by Sergei or his his associates – um, and she has to win their trust in order to maintain her relationship with Sergei. And
0: the nature the nature of the music here, I mean, I heard some of it when Rosetta was in with us, and I was really taken by it, in fact.
5: Absolutely. I mean, um, Erlanger it sort of occupies a really fascinating time in terms of what's happening with music. He's, he's sort of, where we can sort of imagine um, him looking back to his contemporaries or predecessors like Paul Ducasse and Massenet, but with that um, sort of naturalistic uh, Verismo style, but Mm -hmm. also looking forward to something of what we might think of as the sort of mysticism that's coming into French music in the late 1910s and 20s, people like Lili Boulanger and Darius Milhaud as well, and there's sort of an ecstatic quality as well.
0: Uh, the performances here, Ella Marchant makes her de- de- debut as director on the main stage. How has she fared?
5: Uh, she's done very well. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she, she first worked uh, with Wexford back in, uh, in 2017, mm. assisting Fiona Shaw on um, Caribbean's Medea. And, and here she now has a full production to herself. Um, as I say, she's updated this to a kind of a broadly contemporary setting, sort of a mix of mid-20th century to contemporary costuming and um, quite industrial settings in the first and final scenes and then quite uh, beautiful, urbane settings in the middle. And it, it works very well, very strong.
0: And the, the singers here, uh, the Olga character is Andrea Soare, if I'm saying her name correctly there, and Sergey
5: by Andrew Morstein. How have they fared? Um, very well. I mean, Andrea Soare, what a voice. Uh, You have to go and hear her. She is magnificent in this role. Very committed singer, um, beautiful, brilliant tone, fantastic, Mm. charismatic voice. Um, She's a real find. I mean, one of the great strengths of Wexford over the years, of course, has been the way that they have sort of picked up on... Um, fine singers at sort of the beginnings of yeah. their careers, and really sort of, and, and giving them a platform. And certainly with Andrea Suarez, she's a fantastic singer. Um, I wasn't quite so struck by Andrew Morstein. I mean, he looks really good in the role. You can see why he was cast visually, perhaps. But I don't know. There was there was um, something perhaps a bit distanced about his voice. It sort of was almost like a bit, it sounded a bit swallowed at times, like he wasn't quite Amen. on the same page as his partner. And you know that's a problem when yeah. you've got a relationship with well, the like, core. I mean,
0: it's, it's always a problem. Well, it's not always. It can be a problem with opera where somebody looks brilliant for the part, but they don't have the voice, and others who have the perfect voice, but they physically don't seem to fit the part. I suppose it's 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 unusual to get it this way. It's more mm. unusual to get it this way around. I think. Let us. Um, so you you clearly enjoyed this very much, and it's 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 a hidden gem that mm. is now brought back into into the light as Wexford has done down the years. Let's talk about some of the the smaller events then that you were at. One of which was a lunchtime recital you attended at Saint uh, Church, and this is this is often to a situation where you can get big singers doing wonderful things, or again singers at the start of their career being given
5: a chance to. To sing to this very imp-
0: important audience in
5: Wexford? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, the lunchtime recitals, it's a wonderful tradition that they built up in Wexford. And of course, St. Iberius's Church, um, it, it's one of the architectural gems of Wexford. Mm. It's a beautiful 18th century church, uh, very much almost in, in the Baroque style with its sort of half dome and so on. Um, and this was the opening recital. It was World Opera Day. And so they had not one, but two singers, fresh from the opening of Donizetti's um, Torreida di Granata the previous night. Which was the opening, the f- the f- opening night of the festival itself. Absolutely. Um, so very exciting. So, of course, a lot of people in the audience had been at that opening night um, and very much looking forward to what they were going to hear. And we had soprano Rachel Croes and tenor Julian Henal Gonzalez. Um, two beautifully matched singers. I have to say
0: I remember Rachel Croish was in with me uh, I think it might have been last year's Wexford Festival Opera or could even have been the year before that and she was starting out on her career. And I remember her thinking, she is one to watch, as was Hannah O'Brien, who was in with us recently, mm-hmm. as another one. of But Rachel Croce, I thought, she's going somewhere because she has a wonderful performance facility. She was a great interviewee. She knew how to communicate to an audience very clearly.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, she is gifted with most beautiful, mellifluous voice. And um, and she has a very easy way with the audience. She was very happily...
0: Very humorous, I believe, in her very, presentation.
5: Yeah, and uh, wonderfully varied program program from her. So it was very exciting, very enjoyable.
0: And the balance between I suppose the uh, her her the, the tenor singing along with her I think has a more kind of Latino or Latin expression, hasn't oh,
5: he? Absolutely. So I mean he was really sort of your classic Latin lover and um and so it was it was a lovely contrast between the two, but a real sense of you know of chemistry. They're both mm. very you know real stage animals and and,
0: and and those lunchtime recitals you'll get the big hefty arias, you'll get nice lollipop arias as well and you'll get some songs that absolutely. you're going to be familiar with anything that stood out for you in, the, in either or both of their performances?
5: Well, let's see. I mean, they did the beautiful um, scene from La d'Amore for the Two Lovers, which was just mm. such fun. I was arranging about the stage. But then some, some you know, real um, lovely pop moments as well. I mean, Rachel Crowish did a phenomenal performance of, of all things Danny Boy, beautifully. Yeah. Um, interpreted, yeah. um, and then of course broke through into sort of your musical theatre um, uh, territory with the girl from 14G, which is, is ah, just right.
0: a. So she she really she really wowed the audience <laughs> and clearly wowed you as well. And um, you went to one of the pocket operas as well. This is Suor Angelica, um, Sister Angelica by uh, Puccini, set in 17th century convent. Um, Grace Morgan. Has put her own spin on this
5: 1918 original. Absolutely, I mean, it's so-
0: part. It's part of a triptych, and we don't normally see this one.
5: No, we don't.
0: Um, Gianni Skiki is the other one. And what's the the uh, and the, the
5: Il Tabaro? Yeah, yeah. The, so the- we normally see the two of them. We seldom see this one yes um it's sort of it it's sometimes it's own it, it's put on a lot by conservatoires because mm. uh you know if you need to put on a piece for a lot of women, then there you go uh there, there are no male roles in it but um so it's an opera that's set in in a in a women's community, and so what uh, the director Grace Morgan has done is just simply said well." why set this in a nunnery? Why not think about other kinds of women's communities? And she was clearly um, inspired by, you know, accounts of the the Silver Sisterhood cult that was active in County Donegal in the 1980s and thinking about other kind of communes that emerged mm. and um, the kinds of ironies and frustrations that can emerge within them, but thinking about it in a, in a more modern and setting. And do we
0: hear Puccini's music very differently in a setting
5: like that? Well... Yes, you do. I mean, obviously it's a chamber performance, so yeah. instead of the full orchestra, it's just accompanied by the piano, yeah, um played beautifully by um, Giorgio d'Alonso and um and so it's it gives a real platform again to sort of emerging singers who are coming through. We had some beautiful singing with um uh, the principal role, um sister Angelica played by um, soprano Lorna McLean, uh, making her Irish debut, uh, really stunning performance, really very fine. All right, well,
0: clearly you've had a couple of good days in Wexford. Are you heading back down for more? Uh,
5: yes, hoping to head down tomorrow to see uh, Zoré de Granata. So very much looking forward to that. It'll be great.
0: All right. Well, in the meantime, you seem to have had a good time, and thanks for your thoughts on that, uh, Michael. Uh, t- Michael Lee, there, talking to us about the uh, Wexford Festival Opera, which runs right through until the fifth of November, and you'll get further details. Of all of the performances. There's so much happening. You could if you're traveling to Wexford, you can go for the day, get an opera at the night, and there'll still be loads of things on during the day to go to. That's the way to do it, I think, Michael. Wexford Festival Opera, WexfordOpera.com for full details. Now, a day earlier than usual for our album reviews. We'll be live, as I said at the beginning of the programme this evening, we'll be live for our RTE short story competition special from the Pavilion Theatre in Le That's tomorrow night. So in our album reviews this evening, we will be listening to Oxen, Experimental Doom Folk Project from Rady Pete of Lancôme, Katie Kim, Eleanor Myler of Percolator and John Spud Murphy, Percolator and Producer with Lancôme, Junior Brother and others. The band are also the first signing to the Irish label, Clyde records in over 18 years. Kojak, uh, uh, Kojak is the second album we'll be listening to first came to Providence he did in 2018 with the concept record Delhi Daydreams. Uh, first mixtape to ever be nominated for the Choice Music Prize Debut album, Towns Dead, examined everything from gentrification, masculinity and mental health and was once again nominated for the Choice Prize. He's back with a new album, Phantom of the Afters. And we spoke to Andy McCluskey from Synth Pop Pioneers, our custom manoeuvres in the dark last night on the show, about their latest Bauhaus uh, album, Bauhaus Staircase, 14th studio album. We'll dip into that towards the end of our reviews this evening as well. Um, let us start actually with, uh, with Oxen and, and I'm going to play the opening track on the album But one of the difficulties with this album has to be said is It takes it a while to get going This song is 9 minutes and 29 seconds long But here it is at the start So there we go. We're about um, two and a half minutes nearly into the track, I think, or certainly coming up on two minutes into the track. And that is the nature of these pieces from Oxen. Cruel Mother, the title of the opening track. Uh, and the album is called Serum, is what you're saying to me, uh, Louise Bruton. Did I say that Louise Bruton and Eamon Sweeney were with me? Well, if I didn't, I'm saying it now. Louise, <laughs> Louise um, Serum. You have can you help me with that in <laughs> um, any way?
4: I'm just going by CYRM. <laughs> yes, yeah, the medieval presentation of it all. That's that's what I'm drawing from it. Um, but I yeah, I think the I think serum is the, the kind of the healing process because most of this album, I think, did you describe it as doom folk? Mm. Um, it's all about torment and misery and you know self torture. So I think this is meant to be the bam to get us through
0: yeah because it, and and when i when, as you're saying that you know and I've just spoken about the length of the first track the the extraordinary thing is with this album for me at any rate Eamon, is there's such a huge payoff if you can give it the time that it deserves absolutely. and you must give it time
6: absolutely, like it's initially you think, oh it's six tracks, it's an e p or a mini album, but no, it's forty five minutes if you think that first track is long, the final track. Uh, a very, very audacious cover of uh, Scott Walker's Farm in the City is nearly 15 minutes long. Mm. But it certainly does pay dividends. Um, on Rady's vocal there that you initially hear, you, you kind of think, oh, so far, so so Lancome, Lancome. if you like. Yeah. But it really takes very unexpected twists and turns. There's just a wonderful atmosphere and it's just dripping with this weird otherworldly... Um, feeling, very hard to describe, but I, I find it very bewitching. Yeah. Very, very, a, a record that I just keep on going back to time and time again.
0: Yeah, because I, I, that was the other, like, like Eamon suggested there, Louise, I did have a feeling when when the album started, I thought, this is very Lancome, but it establishes its own identity very quickly when that guitar comes in on that track and then later on the percussion comes in and it builds from there in a very different way from what Lancôme might do.
4: Yeah, I think there's a harsher pace to it than what we would be used to with Lancôme. And I think it's you can't go into this thinking that this is going to be like anything that mm. these individual artists have done before. Um, it's not like they've disbanded or they've decided yeah. to... And Katie
0: it, Kim as part of the mix and she'd be a, a different sensibility again.
4: Yeah, so it's it's taking four people who do kind of work with the dar- the darker sides of music who are coming together and they're kind of pushing this out into a stormy sea of sorts because it's very it's a very earthy album like you mm. you feel like you're down in the ditch as the gale mm. forces are above you as they're going through songs that are, were written in the 18th century. so it's it's very old um but they've brought it they've brought such great newness to it as well. So it's not like anything we've heard before. Um, and Eamon is very lucky to be seeing them perform on Tuesday so yeah
6: on Halloween which is just perfect
0: (laughs) (laughs) perfect for some of it there (laughs) and as you say Um, The Wife of Michael Cleary sounds as if it's a contemporary track is it? Has that story got a contemporary uh, feel to it? Um, Um
6: God, well, I'm not sure.
0: Not sure. Yeah. Well, it's from
4: Maya yeah. Sophia's album from 2019, "Bad Time," written by Maya. But it does link into the the torment and the mm. <laughs> the demonic spirits. So the wife of Michael Cleary, um, Bridget Cleary, I think, yeah. was killed by townsfolk because they believed that she was possessed. Yeah. Um, so, so don't
0: be. Fo- it's not. It's not a cont- or a a, rec- a more recent Michael Cleary that we're talking about here at all. <laughs> it's, it's a previous time. Uh, Bridget Cleary it was the, was the woman. Although to refer to her as the wife. For Michael Cleary kind of takes her name out of it which I'm a little bit surprised uh,
4: Well that was Maya's intention because yeah. that album was all about women who were never able to tell their yeah. own stories so, yeah, so it links up nicely
0: that, That's what we are um, it, it is an exciting album How does it t- t- fare in terms of stars from you Louise?
4: Um, I think just inevitably it's four and a half stars it's inevitably brilliant inevitably shocking it's great
6: and Eamon I'll go one more on five. You're going yeah, to the whole five I'm on really, it. Really, really enjoy. Like I, I love False Lancome. That's probably album of the year hands down. But this is a competitor. Yeah, But not quite, because it's a crossover and a Venn diagram. Well, I suppose, yeah, they're competing <laughs> with themselves
0: in some ways. Isn't that, aren't you always your own? Aren't you your own strongest competition? And, Absolutely, and that's yeah. it's yourself you have to beat if you listen to the self-help books. So four and a half and five, the two uh, judgments there on Oxen and Sirem, their debut album. Let's move on to Kojak and Phantom of the Afters. Here is a track, which even the title of this track, let you know what you get from uh, from Kojak it's called Cabra Drive
3: a g- there
0: we have Cabra Drive from Kojak and the new album Phantom of the Officers with a few little gaps <laughs> here and there I think it's safe to say along the way but Again, this Kojak kind of comes off the speakers, comes off whatever you're listening to him on, and grabs you by the th- grabs you by the throat. That's what he does.
4: I think as soon as Kojak arrived on the scene, there was mm. just a very clear superstar quality about him, and this album, I really feel that he's pushed himself to another level by 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 the help of a character called Jackie Dandelion, who, I, who is the, the focus of all of these songs. And I think if you can't say what you need to say yourself, get someone else to say it. And he's able to <laughs> yeah, yeah. get so many incredible points across about being an Irishman who's had to leave Dublin, go to London, who's managed to mess up almost every relationship he's had, who doesn't feel like he belongs at home or abroad. And it's just this beautiful characterization of feeling lost and, I, I don't know, accepting your failures as you go along.
0: Yeah, and, and we're, we're kind of laughing at how he manages to hand over the responsibility to say that to somebody else. But he is dealing with very dark topics here. Oh, Eamon. absolutely.
6: Absolutely. Um, like, kind of, the, the last track, Heaven Shouldn't Have You. Yeah. In terms of an Even examination, the title there says it, says yeah, it That's all, where we're it? going. You know, we're yeah. going into grief, bereavement, uh, loss, as Louise is mentioning their, you know, catastrophic love life, but mental health, uh, being Irish in London, and there's an interesting parallel with kind of Fontaine's DC because this Jackie Dandelion character Mm. is lifted from the Fontaine's DC song um, Jackie Down the Line, which is a single a couple of years ago. And the videos kind of like just kind of play with that and he's kind of like he looks like this bizarre used car salesman. Uh, kind of, um, mm. and there's all these kind of little skits, uh, kind of like about kind of you know flying and landing at Stansted, and you know people take you know kind of mocking for for his accent, and this is kind of threaded through the album, um, and there's just such personality yeah. to it. Yeah, There's huge, such huge, humor person, to it, huge personality. Despite the, kind of the very the dark darkness. topics that we yeah. that we've been mentioning, and it's
0: funny that you mentioned the whole idea of the the Stansted experience and people, mm. you know, laughing at his accent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It is one of the questions. I mean, for us. Well, certainly for me, you think it's so great to hear somebody in their original voice expressing their original experience with original music. How transferable is that? I mean, if you're very specific, it should be universal. Does it have a universal appeal?
4: I think it does because I, I think Kojak has softened his Dublinisms a little bit, but not in a way that he's mm, pretending that he's to he's be. He's not pretending to be somebody else. Yeah, except for Jackie Dandelion, who's <laughs> <Yeah>. doubled <laughs> <Yeah>. Dublin <laughs> yeah. through and through. Um, but I think they're like, I. I kept thinking about Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City, the whole time I was listening to this album. Uh, Kendrick does a similar thing where he uses a character to kind of weave through all these different lives he could have had if he had taken the wrong uh, turn at a certain point. And that's what Kojak does as well. And he's... Also, kind of poking fun of himself throughout it. Like he he knows that he's kind of he's the the fool who's who's yeah who's messed up and there's something very endearing about it. But also yeah. the honesty is, is yeah. quite refreshing. Stars well. from you, Louise. Um, it was initially four, but I think it's gone back up to five now.
0: You're up at five. I'm up at five we're oh. yeah. having a very good night tonight, Eamon.
6: I go four. You're
0: going very four, strong, album, very everybody. strong yeah, four yeah. from you, and uh, peeping, picking the five, getting the five from Louise on re- on mature recollection. I think is what's happening there. Louise, was That's Kojak and Phantom of the Afters. Finally, let's go to Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark and Bauhaus Staircase. Let's have a little whack of the opening track. Just a little flavour. Of course, we had a lot more of it last night and we had a lot of Andy McCluskey last night um, speaking about Bauhaus staircase, the new album. And he was as fresh as a daisy, I have to say, Eamon. And this album is as fresh as a daisy as well, really. Pretty much.
6: It? We only heard it for like a few seconds there. And he's talking about smashing down fascist art. Fascist art, star, yeah. And if you, I don't think we'd quite come to it, but then he name-checks the Great Paraboo album, the the modern dance. Mm. Shoehorning that kind of, you know, European art movements and architecture and kind of like very underground American music into ostensibly a pop song. I think it's just the beauty of them. That whole thing of do you want to be Stockhausen or and, yeah. and can we be both? <laughs> yeah. And they're they're still trying to be both. Yeah. And I think that's just the joy of Of OMD. Yeah, and
0: and when I spoke to him too, Louise, I asked about this idea. Well, you know, are you all old school and are you sticking with your analogue? Nah, none of that rubbish. I can't can't be dealing with that. Give me the modern technology and let me write modern songs. Somehow they've kept up with the times, but, you know, the, you still hear the old orchestral manoeuvres in the dark very sound. Extremely
4: modern using a uh, Google Translate. Google Speak, I think yes, it was. Google was Speak, yeah, Google Speak. It, it, it's very jarring, but it works very well with the themes because yeah. it's all about the destruction of Earth and just yeah. like, isn't everything terrible? And I just love the kind of... Human disassociation that he's using with these with these robotic voices and giving himself a break as well, which is great.
0: But the robotic voices that that, that was a because we played a bit of that track last night. Anthropocene isn't mm. that it? Yeah. That's the one. The robotic the robotic voices are musically brilliantly realised.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I, it was through boredom. I think that he got it. And it was kind of tinkering around, but it it just there is there is a lilt to Google yeah. Lady's voice <laughs> that does add to it, just. Uh, trying to assess the world and trying to see if your experiences actually translate to everybody yeah. else in the world.
0: And he did, he, you touched on it already, Eamon, but he did He did talk about that last night too and and do you think it succeeds in the album to be both Stockhausen and, and ABBA?
6: Um, yeah, now I would say Anthropocene and Evolution of the Species, they're, they're kind of those ones that, yeah. that Louise was mentioning about those voices, they're the ones that don't work quite as well for me. When they mix it and do the kleptocresi, klepti- klepti- um kleptocracy yeah. thank yeah. you um with this just a brilliant melody Then it works more the thematic stuff I felt a little bit like oh it's trying to be craft um radioactivity but just not no way as kind of as effective and even though I might be saying like he, he's, you know he's not analog purist mm. the beauty of those 80s records and the sound of it there's a certain naivety naivety and innocence to it that doesn't quite come doesn't quite come across when it's much more polished and digital and, and kind of uh, glitchy. It's, I was listening to kind of architecture and morality today to try and get a, get a sense of that, what was different about it. And that was just so much more understated and yeah. so much more minimal. Where this is more maximal. All right. And it doesn't quite yeah, do it for yeah, me, yeah. but You're it's still not, great in places.
0: Not fully convinced by the maximalism I'm mm-hmm. getting. Stars from you on this one, Eamon. I'll got three and a half. Three and a half. Um minimalism, maximalism, uh, modernism. Three
4: for me was just a bit bitty and didn't make cookies of sense.
0: So it didn't come together yeah. really as an album. Individual tracks did work in some ways. Okay, that is uh the third of our albums, Bauhaus Bauhaus Staircase, isn't that the title of it? From our castle Maneuvers in the Dark and previously we were speaking about Oxen's debut album and Kojak's second album, isn't it? Yes, it's his second. It's his second album. Louise Bruton and Eamon Sweeney are reviewers this evening. Just a reminder that we are live from the Pavilion Theatre in Laoghaire tomorrow night. The judges will be there. Claire Kilroy, Ferdia McKenna, and Kathleen McMahon, all ten shortlisted writers, I'm delighted to say, for this year's RTE short story competition in honor of Francis McMahon will be in the front row of the Pavilion Theatre tomorrow night. Some of them we've already spoken to on the programme, some of them we haven't. we've speak to them tomorrow night we'll hear extracts from the stories uh, read for us on the night Rory Nolan and Katrina Newark, who will be reading those and we'll have music from Conor Lenihan and Susanna Direction. so a real um, wonderful night ahead of us and there's still some tickets paviliontheatre.ie if you want to actually be there if you can't be there of course you'll be able to listen to us here on RTE Radio 1 so that is our lot for this evening however Polly Shields and Leah Murphy researched Stephen Higgins was the broadcast coordinator Padra Carney was on and sound this evening and tonight's programme produced by Reg Luby. So, tomorrow night, live at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary. Till then, I leave you in the capable hands of John Creedon, who will be with you after the news.